Feast of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones and uh, with you today discussing worship, theology, and culture. And today is a theological issue. I'm going to be discussing biblical church offices. Um, upon Jesus' ascension, he gave a task and he, was, he gave this task to the church specifically to go and to teach all nations, baptizing them. And many of you are familiar with the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Um, And so to accomplish this task, Christ gave the church five distinct types of ministers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we see this in Ephesians 4.11. Uh, This is a passage that is often not taught. (laughs) For some reason, people tend to skip it, Uh, although it is crucial, it is vital, and I think we should understand it as best as possible, although as best as possible might vary from person to person. Uh, There are certainly hermeneutic issues, but these offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, these offices should not be confused with spiritual gifts. Um, you, you can see spiritual gifts, very spiritual gifts listed in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Uh, all believers have spiritual gifts, okay? Every single Christian has spiritual gifts. If, if someone is not a Christian, listen to me on this, someone who is not a Christian does not have a spiritual gift. <laughs> Years ago, I heard someone, uh, there was a newborn baby they had, beautiful little baby, and they said, uh, I think this baby, I think, I think his spiritual gift is such and such. <laughs> you have to be born again, a born again Christian to have a spiritual gift. That's why it's a spiritual gift. But the offices that I'm going to speak of today, only a few hold an office of the church. And holding an office is a privilege, not a right, and one which requires exceeding accountability and seriousness. So of these five church offices, there subsist a a variety of opinions and interpretations. Many people have various ideas of what these offices are, what they represent, how they should look. For example, are these offices reserved only for men? And the answer to that question, that particular question right there, will uh, vary greatly depending on the hermeneutic of the one answering the question. And some uh, more informed perhaps than others. Rather than outlining my own reasons for holding my view, suffice it to say that I believe these offices are not reserved for only men. But I am certainly able to see the perspective of someone who believes so. And, uh, you know, there, there are, on, on that particular issue, there are people that will say that if you believe uh, anything other than them, that it is not reserved for only men or that it is. And, and you think otherwise that you are wrong. <laughs> um, I've even had people refer to, uh, it, people have legitimate reasons for believing that these offices are held only for men. And, and I've heard people refer to that as oppressive, and I don't believe that at all. Um, 
But another question that many believers ask is whether all five church offices Paul lists in Ephesians 4 continue to exist today. Um, And this is primarily in the role of apostle and prophet. Some reference Paul's letter to the church at Corinth to argue that tongues and prophecy, um, often including apostleship, do not exist um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13.10 says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And people believe that the partial is gifts, are gifts of the Spirit. And so since Paul speaks of prophecy in tongues in this context, the assumption could be that such abilities existed only for an ordained interval of time and not any further. I believe that that claim is a stretch, and, uh, but at the same time, I don't discount its credibility. Um, But I do not hold to that view. Now, listen, it's a hermeneutic. (laughs) It's not a right or wrong issue. It is a hermeneutic, and there is nothing wrong with having various interpretations of that. So while these offices are different in function, the goal of all five offices of the church is the same, namely the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and the building of the body of Christ. That's You you see that clearly in Ephesians 4.12. And so for what I'm going to do today, I'm going to operate under the view that all five offices exist today. So how then should Christians understand the roles of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher? And my aim here is to examine each office and how it should, be, how it should appear in the current uh, context. So a first office an apostle. An apostle, um, to sum up what an apostle is, an apostle is an ambassador of the gospel and one who is sent from and by his or her her own local congregation. Uh, Many church planters would be considered apostles. There should, however, be a distinction between the 12 apostles and the general role of apostles. Scripture often uh, speaks of apostles in both senses. As founders and leaders of the early church, the 12 apostles were given the unique role of serving the early church specifically. No person has ever nor will ever have a role as one of the 12 apostles. Okay, so some may, however, uh, hold the general role of apostle. In other words, one who is sent by God to accomplish a specific task. To be one of the 12 there were certain parameters that one had to meet. They had to um, have seen Christ in the flesh. Um, uh, so, obviously, that rules out a lot of people today. <laughs> Everyone, to be exact. Um, so, when someone claims to be an apostle, um, if you believe that this role still exists in the local church, and I do, it is a specific it is a role of someone who is sent out to, to accomplish a specific task, again, like a church planter. And as the 12 apostles held the responsibility of establishing the church, the office of apostle, general role of apostle, also brings with it the task of building local churches. Many missionaries seem to hold this office as well. The 12 apostles dispersed around the nations and influenced people for the gospel of Christ. The same is true of the general office of apostle, but on a local level rather rather than establishment of the church universal, which was given only to the 12. So one who is an apostle might have a distinct gift of building local churches and ministering at a foundational level. 
So that's apostle. And the next role we see in this passage is a prophet. Uh, where Old Testament prophets were given the responsibility of declaring God's message of repentance, the New Testament role of prophecy is disparate in that someone who prophesies boldly declares the message of God by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's not as if Old Testament prophets didn't do this, but Old Testament prophets were given a specific message for a specific people, for example, Judah or Israel. While New Testament and modern prophets proclaim really a bolder message with the authority of Scripture. Um, it's a more broad message. It's, it's related specifically to the gospel of Jesus Christ for everyone. So uh, the Old Testament prophets, you might see them give a specific message to Judah or Israel. Repent. <laughs> uh, it's not ter- telling the future. They certainly might say repent or this will happen. And often it did. Um, But a New Testament prophet is a broader message of the gospel. Uh, Additionally, Old Testament prophets offered God's revelation, which had not already been given to his people. But because of the canon of scripture and because it's complete, church era prophets offer no such extra revelation because an extra word from God, particularly one that contradicts the text of the Bible, is a false prophet and therefore no prophet at all. And so we need to be careful when we hear someone that says, I have a prophecy. Uh, They might, um, but if it's extra revelation, it is not. True prophecy is totally accurate, always. Uh, Prophecy will never be incorrect or mistaken. And so if you find someone that uh, uh, says they have a prophecy and it's incorrect, it is not a prophecy. I've had someone do that to me and uh, share a word with me. I have a word from God. I have a prophecy. And they give me the word and um, completely inaccurate. That is not a prophecy. Prophets often see spiritual issues in a clearer sense than others. And so sin or righteousness is blatantly obvious to a prophet. He or she is then obliged to point out these issues to people and and honestly, if you look at biblical prophets, particularly Old Testament prophets even, the way that people often respond is negatively. A lot of times a prophet is not seen as a hero to people, but is disliked. But a prophet is recognized in the way of proclamation. One who prophesies proclaims the message of God with authority and with the obvious emboldening of the Holy Spirit. So the next office that this passage that Paul uh, mentions is is the evangelist. The evangelist is often considered in an incorrect manner. For example, someone who travels to various local churches ministering. And so while someone who does so may certainly be an evangelist, there's nothing wrong with that. It really needs to be remembered that an evangelist is an office of the local church given for the equipping of the saints. And sometimes we lose sight of that. So evangelists hold an equipping ministry to the local church. Evangelists tend to possess a rare ability to present the gospel in an announcing fashion, which beckons others to salvation. So salvation obviously doesn't come from the power of humanity. 
So there's nothing any person can do to save people. It's only from the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God empowers evangelists to preach the gospel, announcing the good news of Christ and bringing others to salvation. So keep in mind that evangelists are given by God to the local church for the equipping of the saints. So evangelists minister in a local congregation. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with itinerant ministry, I've done that before, in fact, Someone who holds an office of an office of evangelist is given a ministry in a local church. There is an equipping ministry to an evangelist. It's not just someone who travels around, goes from church to church, and leaves. No, there is an equipping ministry in the local church for evangelists. So the next office um, is the pastor. And the pastor is often translated as shepherd, for example, in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. The ultimate model for a shepherd, and really of all church offices, is Jesus. He refers to himself as the good shepherd who gathers the flock, cares for them, knows them, rescues them, and lays down his life for them in John 10. And there are guidelines and criteria given for pastors by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3. The term he uses, however, is elder. Uh, the term bishop is also used interchangeably in Acts 20, 28. The overarching ministry of a pastor is that of an overseer or one who spiritually guides a local body of believers. So the next role is the role of teacher. And often the role of pastor is coupled with that of teacher. In the Greek, the two terms are used together as pastor-teacher. And so in Paul's instructions on pastoral duties, a pastor is to have the ability to teach. And therefore, the role of pastor also involves teaching and, in the opinion of many, implies a dual role of pastor-teacher. And so... Uh, here's what I'll say about that. I think someone certainly could be a teacher without being a pastor, yet I do not believe they can be a pastor without also being a teacher. Uh, to pastor uh, and to shepherd, you must hold uh, the role of, of teaching, of teacher. And so teachers hold the task of interpreting God's divine revelation through Scripture. And like the other four offices of the church, a teacher is ultimately required for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Teaching then doesn't see an end of learning, but life transformation. It's not a display of how much you know. When someone rightly teaches the word of God, lives are changed. And it results in the public ministry of the local church. So one who can rightly exposit the text of Scripture to God's people is a teacher and given such a task for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Let us not forget that. That's the purpose of these offices. And so the end means of each office, the overarching purpose of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, or any combination of them, one believes may exist now, um, the, the overarching purpose stems from the glory of God and is manifested in the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And so a key component in this concept is that the work of ministry is not only reserved for the ministers and leaders of the church themselves, but rather for the members of the body. In other words, ministers function primarily to equip rather than to work as the sole ministers of the fellowship. And this assignment has two parties involved, the ministers 
and the congregants, where both need to take responsibility, their responsibility seriously. A minister in the local church should understand his or his or her role as equipping, just as a lay member should understand his or her role as being equipped for ministry. What is the point of being equipped if you do not carry out the work of ministry? So, when church offices function in this manner, God's work is accomplished and he's glorified. And so this is the end means of these offices. These offices are not to be taken lightly. Someone who is called to any of these offices um, is to realize the holiness of their task, the seriousness of their task, and and not to um, see it as something where they're on a pedestal, where, where they are just um, showboating their gifts and abilities. That is not what it is. It is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And if the saints are not being equipped for the work of ministry, these roles and uh, their functions are not being accomplished. So um, thank you for listening. I hope this has been beneficial to you and hopefully clarified some issues about the offices of the church. Um, again, there are varying interpretations There are varying hermeneutic issues on these, and I've just presented to you mine. And so uh, hopefully this has been helpful to you. Thank you for listening to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.